Chapter 103, Measurement of the Whale's Skeleton. In the first place, I wish to lay before you a particular plain statement touching the living bulk of this Leviathan whose skeleton we're briefly to exhibit. Such a statement may prove useful here. According to the uh, careful calculation I've made, and which I partly base upon Captain Scoresby's estimate of uh, 70 tons for the largest sized Greenland whale of 60 feet in length, according to my careful calculation, I say a sperm whale of the largest magnitude, uh, between 85 and 90 feet in length, and something less than 40 feet in its fullest circumference, such a whale will weigh at least 90 tons. So that reckoning 13 men to a ton, he would considerably outweigh the combined population of a whole village of 1,100 inhabitants. Think you not then that brains like yoked cattle should be put to this leviathan to make him at all budge to any landsman's imagination? Having already in various ways put before you his skull, spout hole, his jaw, teeth, tail, forehead, fins, and diverse other parts, I shall now simply point out what is most interesting in the general bulk of his unobstructed bones. But as the colossal skull embraces so very large a proportion of the entire extent of the skeleton, as it's uh, by far the most complicated part, and as uh, nothing is to be repeated concerning it in this chapter, you must not fail to carry it in your mind or under your arm as we proceed, otherwise you'll not gain a complete notion of the general structure we're about to view. In length, the sperm whale skeleton at Trank measured 72 feet. So that when fully invested and extended in life, he must have been 90 feet long. For in the whale, the skeleton loses about one-fifth in length compared with the living body. Of this 72 feet, his skull and jaw comprise some 20 feet, leaving some 50 feet of plain backbone. Attached to this backbone, for something less than a third of its length, was the mighty circular basket of ribs which once, uh, once enclosed his vitals. To me, this vast ivory rib chest with a long, unrelieved spine extending far away from it in a straight line not a little resembled the hull of a great ship new laid upon the stocks when only some 20 feet of her naked uh, bow ribs are inserted and the keel is otherwise for the time but long disconnected timber. The ribs were ten on a side. The first, uh, to begin from the neck, was nearly six feet long. The second, third, and fourth were each successively longer till you came to the climax of the fifth, or one of the middle ribs, which measured eight feet and some inches. From that part, the remaining ribs diminished till the tenth and last one only spanned five feet and some inches. In general uh, thickness, they all bore a seemly correspondence to their length. The middle ribs were the most arched. In some of the arsicides, they're used for beams, whereupon to lay footpath bridges over small streams. In considering these ribs, I uh, could not but be struck anew with the circumstance so variously repeated in this book that the skeleton of the whale is by no means the mold of his invested form. The largest of the trank ribs, one of the middle ones, occupied that part of the fish which in life is greatest in depth. Now, the uh, greatest depth of the invested body of this particular whale must have been at least 16 feet, whereas the corresponding rib measured but little more than 8 feet. So that... Uh, this rib can only conveyed half of the true notion of the living magnitude of that part. Besides, for some way where I now saw but a naked spine, all that had been once wrapped round with tons of added bulk and flesh, muscle, blood, and bowels. Still more for the ample fins, I, I here saw but a few disordered joints, and in place of the weighty and majestic but 
but boneless flukes, an utter blank. Hmm. How vain and foolish, then, thought I, for timid, untraveled man to try to comprehend aright this wondrous wail by merely poring over his dead, attenuated skeleton stretched in this peaceful wood. No. No, only in the heart of quickest perils, only when within the eddyings of his angry flukes, only on the profound, unbounded sea can the fully invested whale be truly and livingly found out. Uh, but the spine. For that, uh, the, the best way we can consider it uh, with a, is with a crane to pile its bones high up on end. Now, no speedy enterprise, but... Ah, uh, well, now it's done. It looks much like Pompey's pillar. There are forty and odd vertebrae in all, which in the skeleton are not locked together. They're, they mostly lie like great knobbed blocks on a gothic spire, forming solid courses of heavy masonry. The largest, a middle one, is in width something less than three feet, and in depth more than four. The smallest, where the spine tapers away into the tail, is only two inches in width and looks something like a white billiard ball. I was told that there were still smaller ones, but they'd been lost by some little cannibal urchins, the priest's children, you know, and stolen them to play marbles with. Thus we, we see how that the spine of even the hugest of living things tapers off at last into simple child's play. <laughs>